The science is never settled. Someone said that last week on this very show. I wonder who it was. This week, the scientists actually confirmed it. Plus, Canada arrests yet another pastor. What is going on? And where do babies go when they die? We discuss that and more in the life of David this week on your favorite night of the week, The Deep End. I am beloved, the man they call David, the son of a Jesse, the John that slay it, the heart full of king, three stones in a sling. I'm dancing my clothes off to the sound of the beat. Welcome to The Deep End with Tim Hatch. Mm Mm-hmm. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome into the deep end. It is Tuesday night. It is 7.30 p.m. And I'm so glad that you are here. Let me know down below in the comments that you are here and where you're watching from. I read every comment. I thank you for every comment. We do this weekly show where we talk about the culture, the world, and the news, and the Bible. And I am so excited for what we got planned for you today. I hope it's a blessing in your life. It's episode 24 of season four. And I want to encourage you to go to youtube.com slash the deep end TV. Listen, no matter where you are watching from, where you are at right now on your social media platforms, or maybe in your car listening, please do me the enormous favor of liking and subscribing on youtube.com slash the deep end TV and click the notification bell. And you know, all that kind of stuff that goes, well, it looks a little bit like this. That's the, uh, yeah, that's the like button. Click that below for me right now. If you would, while you're watching, click the subscribe button. That way you get notified. Oh, but I'm sorry. That way you're part of our family and then click that little bell. That way you get notified when we are live on your smartphone device because you never want to miss any content that we're throwing out there on the event. Hey, last week I asked you guys to write a review on your podcast app, Apple podcast app. Thank you so much. want to say someone did. Uh, this is Laura Marie 1996. She wrote the following Review. This is Tim is great and has a gift for preaching. I enjoy listening in the car through Apple, but it's worth watching live on YouTube on Tuesdays. The Tuesday 511 stream sent me. Thank you, Lauren, Laura, Lauren, Marie, 1996. You just won yourself a free book. (laughs) So here's what you need to do, though. Please, if you would, emails right there, info at thedeepend.tv and send us your info so that we can send you the book for free. Thanks for the review. I appreciate it. Make sure, guys, that you are leaving reviews, liking the videos. It helps with all the algorithms to get the message out as far and as wide as possible. Also, on the uh, YouTube channel, there are new shorts with me on how we are talking about culture and some move Mondays. I've got a move Monday planned for this Monday coming up uh, from a undisclosed location, surprise location. Hope you tune in for that. Um, but make sure that you're subscribing to the channel because it's where we're going to put all kinds of good stuff out for you. Now, let's get into my favorite segment, maybe your favorite segment. It's time to talk about Deep End News. Deep End News. The news you choose if you could choose news. What was COVID? What was COVID? You say, why are you using the word was? Because it looks like it's going away. It looks like now after 14, 15, 16 long, arduous months, COVID is dying down. Uh, Vaccinations are working. Uh, Herd immunity might also be working. Uh, I do not make that as a scientific statement. I just offer it as a possibility. And at some point, we're going to have to ask ourselves, what was this? What was this? So my questions are just questions, not statements. Don't get offended. (laughs) Was COVID really a threat to the global population? Hmm? It's just a question. You can answer it yourself. 
Or was it a vague, strange, novel disease that was foisted upon us by a lab in Wuhan, China? Hmm? Or was it actually just a political move by some in our government and foreign governments to expel the presidency of Donald Trump because they considered him a threat to the global movement? What was COVID? I'm not answering those questions. You answer those questions because I don't want YouTube to censor me. Oh, the YouTube gods, please don't censor me. What was COVID? And what were these last 15 months? Because these questions are important and they should be and they will be debated for years to come. Just like we debated for years and maybe still do about 9-11. We need to debate what was COVID and what must be done going forward in regards to COVID. Here's what cannot be debated. The science was often wrong and used on a regular basis to control our lives. Yeah. The science was often wrong and used on a regular basis to control our lives. The science, for me, caused more questions than answers. Like, for instance, the following questions. Why were certain YouTube videos banned from Facebook and YouTube because they suggested that alternate drugs could help? I have a lady in my church who sent me an email like a shaking in her boots kind of email because she didn't want to be discovered that she actually used some alternative drugs that she found from a doctor who was willing to, pre to prescribe her to these drugs very quietly. And it actually helped her recover mirac somewhat miraculously and quickly from COVID. But these drugs, you can't talk about them on YouTube and Facebook. Why was that the case? At some point, we're going to have to answer that question. Why were our privacy laws destroyed? When a town like Elizabethtown, New Jersey, sent drones into the air to spy on its citizens who were breaking lockdown rules and mandates. Why was it so imperative that everyone stay socially distant, lest you kill grandma, but then millions of protesters packed the American cities with riots on top of riots and protests on top of protests in which they were shoulder to shoulder for the entire summer of 2020 and nothing was done about it. Why did Dr. Fauci first tell us not to wear masks, then tell us to wear masks, then tell us to wear two masks, and now is telling us no more masks? It's a question. Why was Bill Gates, a software engineer, suddenly considered a doctor and epidemiologist? While at the same time, Joe Rogan, who offered his ideas on vaccinating children, was literally canceled and raked over the coals for his stance. Neither of those guys are doctors or epidemiologists. But why do we listen to the one and not to the other? We now know, of course, that Bill Gates is getting divorced. And now we also know that he had women on the side and that his wife started meeting with her divorce lawyers the moment that it was found out he was traveling with Jeff Jeffrey Epstein to his private island where sex trafficking was occurring for businessmen and powerful politicians. But for the last 15 months, he was the messiah because he invented Microsoft, which pretty much stinks as an operating system. Why and how on earth did our country shift so radically, so willingly, so forcefully? And we're not, and, oh, no, no. And we seem to be resistant to get it back. I love America. Well, let me say it this way. I loved America. I, I don't know. I don't recognize a lot of it right now. I really don't. Sorry to be a 
you know, a bit of a downer right now, but America's got to get its swag back. It really does. I mean, for the first time in political history, we elected the candidate who was more fearful of the present challenge than the other guy who wasn't as fearful. That's, that's, a, that's a fact. We, we typically historically elect the guy who has the most positive view of the challenges facing the country. And for the first time, we elected the guy with the most negative view. Isn't that weird? Why, why, why? Here's why. Are you ready? I've got the answer. Because science. Yes, science. Yeah, science. Because science. And not real science. Selective science. Yes, science. Yeah. Selective science. See, you see, here's the deal, friends. Science has been for a while now a political weapon of the powerful to manipulate you and to scare you and to conform you into whatever image they want you to have. Which brings me to the Miss Universe pageant. <laughs> yes, the Miss Universe pageant. Okay, good news. Uh, the winner of Miss Universe, uh, according to the science, is in fact a biological woman. That's a good thing for the Miss Universe <laughs> contest. But bad news for Miss Universe, science might have discovered UFOs and alien activity. This from Yahoo News. A former U.S. Navy pilot said he saw UFOs off the Atlantic coast almost every day, moving in a way that was impossible for a scientist to explain. So here's my question for the Miss Universes out there. If it's suddenly discovered that we are not alone in the universe, does that mean that every Miss Universe immediately has to forfeit her crown and title because after all we should now include the aliens in these competitions i mean it is kind of hubris of us uh earthlings to suggest that we have the most beautiful woman in the universe when there might be more beautiful alien women out there somewhere we don't know the the the, the thing that i'm trying to tell you the, the point that i'm trying to make in a kind of comical way is simply this friends the science is never settled ladies and gentlemen you really need to watch the deep end because I said this last week, the science is never settled. I wonder who doubted me. I wonder who doubted me. Uh, because Dr. Fauci agrees with me. Yes, Dr. Fauci is going full Fauci this week. Uh, only a week after being rebuffed by the CDC for his two-week-old comments of when we would get back to normal, Fauci has suddenly shifted based on the evolution of science. That's right. The evolution of science. Check out this article from CBS News uh, on Face the Nation. The title of the article, Fauci says, what? CDC's updated mass guidance is based on the evolution of the science. The evolution of the science, you say? I thought science was settled. No, no, no. This, this, this is uh, just hilarious to me because if we remember, friends, if we remember, it wasn't too long ago. Nay, just what? Nine days ago, when the high and exalted Dr. Fauci uh, suggested that it would take us a year or more to get back to normal. In fact, he said we would only get close, quote unquote, to normal by next Mother's Day. That's Mother's Day 2022. And only if conditions were met. Remember, we shared this last week. Here's the article from Yahoo News. Uh, Mother's Day 2022, Fauci predicts country will be as close to back to normal as we can get by next year. He said that on May 9th. He said that on May 9th. He said the following, quote, I hope that next Mother's Day we're going to see a dramatic difference than what we're seeing right now. <laughs> I am not choking. I am choking on these words. I believe that we will be about as close to back to normal as we can, and there's some conditions to that. Um, we've got to make sure that we get the overwhelming population of a portion of the population vaccinated. And that's what he said on May 9th. 
2021. But as SpongeBob likes to say, one week later. Yeah, one week later, uh, it turns out that we don't need to wait until Mother's Day 2022 to get close to normal because guess what the CDC suddenly said last week? The CDC said you can ditch your mask if you are fully vaccinated. And here's a quote from this article here uh, on NBC News. Uh, quote, we all have longed for this moment when we can get back to some sense of normalcy, the CDC's director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, said during a media briefing Thursday afternoon, May 13th, this is May 13th, May 13th, four days after Fauci talked about uh, next Mother's Day. Why? Because. Yes, science. Yeah, because science. OK. And and so now this lady here on your screen, this is, uh, again, Rochelle, Dr. Rochelle Walensky of the CDC. And 45 days ago, just 45 days, that's a month and a half ago, she was saying, I was looking at the numbers and I was predicting a fourth wave or anticipating a fourth wave of doom because of the rising infection rate. 45 days ago, it was fourth wave doom. Now, 45 days later, based on the science, the evolution of the science, we can ditch our masks. What is it, friends? And you say, well, it's because, you know, we know more. And I guarantee, I, I, I agree with that. We know more. We always end up knowing more. But the question has to be asked and has to be acknowledged that we love to, our, power, our powerful people love to use science and its evolution to make the decisions for us. Um, I, I want to continue to press my point here. So that was, uh, she said, Fourth wave doom 45 days ago, uh, May 13th, that's just uh, five days ago, she says, dish the mask. Well, 61 days ago, okay, before she said fourth wave doom, guess what? We were already starting to have an argument about whether we need to wear the mask or not. And uh, this is from Rand Paul, Senator of Kentucky. Uh, he questioned Dr. Fauci on whether or not vaccinated people or immunized people, because they already had the virus, need to wear a mask. I want you to watch this interchange. This is 61 days ago, March 18th, before the full fourth wave doom prediction by the CDC. Watch this. Immunity. You're defying everything we know about immunity by telling people to wear a mask to have been vaccinated. No. Instead, you should be saying there is no science no. to say we're going to have a problem from the large number of people being vaccinated. You want to get rid of vaccine hesitancy? Tell them they can quit wearing their mask after they get the vaccine. Okay. You want people to get the vaccine? <clears throat> Give them a reward instead of telling them that the nanny state's going to be there for three more years and you got to wear a mask forever. People don't want to hear it. There's no science behind it. Well, let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Masks are protective. And we have immunity there, theater. If you already have immunity, you're wearing a mask to give comfort to others. You're not wearing a mask because of any science. I, I totally disagree with you. Yeah. So that's uh, Dr. Fauci saying unequivocally that masks are not theater. Now the CDC comes out. That was 61 days ago. Now the CDC comes out. By the way, masks for people who are vaccinated. He continue to wear your mask because even though you're vaccinated, you want to make sure that you stay safe and keep others safe. So he was wearing his mask not for theater. That was his. That was his point. That was Dr. Fauci's point. Sixty-one days ago. Now here we are on May thirteenth when the CDC says you can ditch your mask because you're fully vaccinated. And here's what Dr. Fauci said on the news on GMA Good Morning America this week. And just check out this stunning admission from our friend Dr. Fauci and others are not. How has it changed what you do when you wear a mask? Excuse me, how does... How has it changed what you do? How has it changed your mask wearing practices? Well, you know, George, I'm obviously careful because, I mean, I'm a physician and a healthcare provider. I am now much more comfortable 
in in people seeing me indoors without a mask. I mean, before the CDC made the recommendation change, I didn't want to look like I was giving mixed signals. But being a fully vaccinated person, the chances of my getting infected in an indoor setting is extremely low. And that's the reason why in indoor settings now, I feel comfortable about not wearing a mask because I'm fully man, I'm fully vaccinated. Finally, I know the president okay. Biden announced. Did you did you see what he said just there? I hope you saw it because he basically admitted that he was wearing the mask so that others wouldn't get mixed signals. Why, why worry about mixed signals if it was scientific to wear the mask, even though you were fully vaccinated? And now only now are you comfortable ditching the mask because of the CDC and what is said, but before the CDC said that you didn't want to ditch your mask because you didn't want to send people mixed signals. It, it doesn't make sense, friends. And this is the problem. Um, the science is never, ever settled. And there's a couple of theological reasons why. Uh, and I want to make sure that you understand. Number one, humans are flawed. Humans are flawed. Who's doing science? Humans. Uh, humans are biased, number two. Uh, and that's another reason why the science has never settled. And you'll see this on and on and on again. In fact, around the, the search for the gay gene, the homosexual gene, uh, the, the bias of human beings is so readily evident in all the science concerning that, that search. Um, you, you, you're never going to see the gay gene discovered. Do you know why? Because the same people who want uh, homosexual marriage to be uh, popularized and accepted and, and celebrated are also the same people who want to keep abortion legal for any reason. And they never want to see anyone abort their baby because they found the gay gene in their unborn child. That's just a fact. And so human beings are biased. Human beings are flawed. Here's another reason why the science has never settled because God is God. God is God, meaning that he can and will operate in and outside of the boundaries of nature as he sees fit, Hebrews chapter 2 talks about that, that the Holy Spirit distributes miraculous gifts as he sees fit, when he sees fit, and, and there is a great mystery to God's will in that regard. And I want to just press one more thing, that the universe is mysterious. We really don't know much. We don't know a thing, which brings me back to Miss Universe, <laughs> which brings me back to Miss Universe, because Miss Universe, being crowned Miss Universe, when we don't know if there are aliens beyond us, is really just temporary scientific knowledge. And the whole point that I'm trying to make is that science is not a tool for intimidation and indoctrination as it has presently been used. It is not supposed to be a tool for intimidation and indoctrination. I remember when this was the, this was the complaint of the pro-science, anti-religious people. You religious people love to use your Bible to thump it over the heads of others and conform them to your way of living. And now the science, the pro-science people are doing the very same thing. I mean, this is where we are as a world because science, as anything else, becomes an idol that we look to to lead us and guide us and make us who we are and then become a tool wherein we can make other people be who we want them to be. I want you to look at this Next picture on the screen, it says it all. Uh, this is a picture of a teacher in Wisconsin, uh, the dairy state. And I'm not going to play the video because it's horrendous. Uh, she's screaming at a student for not wearing a mask and thus putting her life in danger. By the way, the teacher, I don't know if you can see something <laughs> on the screen that I see. But I think that her being infected by a non-masked student is the least of her health problems. I'm just going to be honest. I'm just going to put it out there. You, I mean, let's, let's can, we, can we can we be candid about this? I mean, she literally called this kid a jerk, a dink, 
an idiot, a loser, all in front of all the rest of the classrooms because he wouldn't put his mask up and thus she he's endangering her life. <laughs> Lady, you, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself here. Um, by the way, this kid was at lunch. How are you supposed to eat food with a mask on? The mask is down below his chin so that he can't eat. And this is circulating across the internet. It was actually a TikTok video. These are the moments that I thank God for TikTok and smartphones so we can catch these these insane people in their nonsense and call them out for what they are propagating in the schools that our kids are sent to. This is what's become of our culture. We have become stupidized. We have become stupidized by our culture because we are using science as we see fit to, to make people conform to the image of the powerful and the elite who control the scientific discoveries. Don't be fooled by it, Christian. Don't be fooled by it. That's why we put our trust not in the wisdom of this world, but in the wisdom of God. That's why we read this book, we teach this book, we study this book, we love this book, because this book is the writings of Almighty God. And it's just kind of amazing to me how we have come full circle from a country that was full of people who hated the Bible because it was used as a weapon to make people conform to certain standards, and now science is doing the exact same thing. Ugh. And, and and now science again in Canada is being used to do what? To arrest pastors. And we talked about the four pastors that have already been arrested in Canada for either opening their churches or preaching against homosexuality. Guess what? They just don't get enough of this. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, in the words of Freddie Mercury, another one bites the dust. I want to put a picture up here. This is a picture of Pastor Tim Stevens. Uh, he is in uh, Ontario pastor. Uh, he, what is he doing here? He is hugging his wife and children and they have tears in their eyes and they're crying their eyes out. Why? Because he's about to be hauled off to jail for the crime of holding services with no social distancing and no masks. And the police arrested this man in front of his church and in front of his family. And he now sits in jail. This is another thing about science becoming a weapon. Uh, the police have moved from keeping the peace to arresting the peaceful people. Do you get that? The police, at least in Canada, have shifted from being keepers of the peace to being the people who arrest and harass the peacekeepers. I, if you can't see this, you are blind and you need to understand that I think the trajectory is already set in motion. The target is aimed at and we are going to see more and more of this. So what was COVID? What was COVID? I have my own thoughts, and I think you know what they are. I think it was a disease. I think it is dangerous. I don't think it's nearly as dangerous as we made it out to be. I think that the science and all the facts are still out on that, and I think that it has been used very successfully by a very small minority of our fellow Americans to control our lives and redefine our country. And we will pay the price for this, unfortunately. And we need to wake up. We need to seek God. And we need to ask God for strength to stand strong, regardless of what this world tries to do. Amen. That's the news. 
I hope you enjoyed it. Hey, make sure you do me a favor. Would you consider giving to The Deep End? Support us at thedeepend.tv slash give or the cash tag thedeependtv or the PayPal address dot paypal.me slash thedeependtv. Uh, follow me on Twitter. Follow me on social media. Follow me on Instagram. I love to connect with you that way. And thanks so much for being here. That's the news. That's the shameless promo. Let's get into what you really should come to the deep end for. We're going to get into the Bible study with the life of David. All right, heading back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. And uh, this is a tough passage because we are on the heels of David's repentance uh, from the sin that he committed with Bathsheba and uh, Uriah. Uh, he kills Uriah. He sleeps with Bathsheba. Well, he sleeps with Bathsheba, gets her pregnant, kills her husband Uriah, and then takes her to be his own. Well, Nathan confronts him. And uh, now we talked about repentance last week. So David repents. We went through Psalms uh, 51 and 32. We talked about how he repented and, and cried out to God and, and took you through that last week. But now this next section, which I promised you we would get to today, is about the death of the child that takes place as a result of David's sin. This is 2 Samuel chapter 12, and this is a tough passage, and I've titled this talk, I think strategically, no, I know strategically, where do babies go when they die? It's a question that maybe you've asked before. It's a tough question, and, and, a, and a tough text like this is a good place to go to delve into and find out God's answer to the hard questions of life. By the way, can I say something about the hard questions of life? Take your hard questions to the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Take your hard questions to God. Number one, he's not afraid of them. Number two, there's probably an answer for that hard question in the Bible. Number three, there's probably a pastor who has studied the word properly enough to give you the answer to that hard question based on the biblical text. And here's another reason. If for no other reason, take your hard questions to the Bible. Why? Because if you don't deal with your hard questions with the Bible, how will you deal with them in real life? And I'm talking to Christians now. I'm talking to Christians. I'm not talking to non-Christians. Non-Christians, you can go to the Bible and find answers, but your heart has to be converted to believe that the Bible is authoritative, that it is the word of God, that it is uh, true still to this day. Um, but for Christians especially, if you don't take your hard questions on with the Bible, you will never be able to handle them in real life. And so back to this question, where do babies go when they die? Let me ask you another science question. Let's, since our news was all about science, let me ask you another science question. Is abortion wrong if the baby in the womb that is getting aborted feels the pain? That's a good science question, isn't it? Because that's what the science is showing. See, I remember in the 1990s being told that the child in the womb was basically a glob of cells. Then ultrasounds, science. Yes, science. Science proved that it was actually a human being with fingers and toes and lungs and heartbeats. Now ultrasounds with 3D and 4D imagery show the hands, the head, the face of the baby as early as 12 weeks into uh, gestation. Here's two more why questions on my mind. Again, scientific questions. Why do 23 states and the District of Columbia have laws against and have already prosecuted women for doing drugs while pregnant or 
otherwise allegedly harming their unborn child. Why do 23 states and the District of Columbia have laws against harming an unborn child on the books and they've already prosecuted women and other people who harm that child? Why is it considered double homicide when a man murders a pregnant woman? Aren't these scientific questions that need an answer? The science suggests an unborn human being can feel pain in the womb as early as 12 weeks now. This is actually causing even some pro-choice advocates to start asking these hard questions. In fact, a pro-choice British pain expert named Stuart Derbyshire, Stuart Derbyshire uh, has previously consulted with Planned Parenthood uh, and has actually worked on the pro-choice side of the argument. He and American doctor John Brockman have, have offered new research that indicates unborn babies can feel something like pain at 12 weeks. The new evidence is so telling, in fact, that Derbyshire and Brockman say, ignoring the evidence flirts with a moral recklessness that we are now, that we should be motivated to avoid. In other words, science should be used for the preservation of life and the elimination of pain in all circumstances, or we are being we are being culturally dishonest. You can't use science to freak people out about wearing their masks and ignore science when babies are being pulled apart in the womb and because it's convenient for you to not have the child, it's okay to ignore the science there. You can't do it. You can't have it both ways. This is hypocritical. How about the woman getting the abortion? All the studies show that a woman who gets an abortion has a far higher increase in suicide, depression, alcohol use, uh, drug abuse, marijuana use, suicidal behaviors. You know, if, if the science proves that it's that harmful, if it's both painful to the child in the womb and harmful to the woman, at what point are we going to listen to the science? You see, this is my problem, friends with what our country, what our culture teaches us. This is why I always doubt culture. And can I tell you something? Because I know some of you don't like when I get into this stuff, but you've got to hear me. As a Christian, you have a moral and spiritual obligation to question the scientific uh, realities of your world. You have a moral and spiritual, obli a theological obligation to question the scientific uh, statements of your world. Because these are humans who are flawed, who are biased, who want to propagate one form of science and you know belittle another form of science when it's inconvenient to their worldview. And someday I think that the world is gonna wake up to the, the scandal that is abortion, the absolute atrocity that is abortion, the current Holocaust that is abortion. Someday the secularists are going to wake up to this reality, this atrocity, and the scientists are going to realize that this was a disgusting period in human history. And you know what's going to happen? The same thing that happens to Christians during the Civil War and Jim Crow era. The secularists are going to say, hey, you Christians didn't speak out about this when you should have. So much for your God and your truth and your biblical understanding. We need to speak up now because someday they're going to say we didn't speak up when they find out that we were right. <laughs> Does that make sense? <sighs> the reason why I bring this up is because we're going to read about the death of the child that Bathsheba bore to David from the adulterous affair between he and her. And the questions we have around this moment are many. And let me say they are good to be asked. I like your questions and I love people asking me questions. By the way, if you have any of these questions while we go through this content today, put them in the chat below and I'll put them on a segment. I'll bring back a segment we haven't done in a while, question and answers on the deep end. But we gotta get into the text or I'm never gonna get done with this episode. So let's get into it. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. 
Let's pick it up. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away, the Lord has also put away your sin and you shall not die. Nevertheless, because uh, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Okay, backing up in the passage, where are we at? Pa- uh, what happens is the prophet Nathan comes and he confronts David with that story of the king stealing the lamb and you know, using it for his uh, guest. And then David says, the man who did this deserves to die and should repay fourfold. And then Nathan says, you're the man because you took Bathsheba away from Uriah, even though you have all these other women in your life and you have all this kingdom and all these pleasures and all this gold. And, and yet you take it from that guy's, that one, that, that man who had only a little. Well, David repents. And now David is informed that his two things, let's put it back up on the screen. Uh, the the Lord, Nathan says, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Okay, so you're not going to be punished for your sin. But nevertheless, and this is a key word in this text, nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord. Uh, and that word scorn means that you have made light. You have made light of the Lord. In other words, you made the Lord look less than he really is. And in the NIV, it says you did this in the sight of the enemies of the Lord. In other words, David, um, your actions belittled your God to the nations around you from whom the Lord delivered you and exalted you in front of. Uh, And so here's the question that we have to ask about this text. Um, Well, there's two questions, but can we ask this question first? How do you reconcile? How do we reconcile the pain that David experiences from the sin? That is, that the child who is born to him is going to die. <clears throat> How do we reconcile that with Nathan first saying that the Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. Uh, and we're going to get to the question of why this child suffers for David's sin in just a moment. But let me answer this question about David's suffering for his sin. It is a theological doctrinal truth that Christians are not punished judicially for their sin. We call this the doctrine of justification. The doctrine of justification teaches Christians that Christ suffered for our sins. Uh, Christians who put their faith in Jesus don't go to hell because hell is eternal conscious torment, punishment for sins. We don't go to hell because Christ went through hell on the cross for us. He bore the hell that our sins deserved on the cross. Romans 4.25, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Uh, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. But let's be honest, and let me put it back on the screen so you see where I'm where I'm getting. The child is gonna be uh, the child who is born to David from this adulterous affair will die. David's gonna suffer for this sin, is he not? He's going to lose a child. And it is extraordinarily painful for anyone to lose a child. Even in the even in the ancient world where this was pretty common for children to die, uh, young children to die because of the lack of medical care and scientific discovery that we enjoy today. But nonetheless, he's got to have pain in his life for his sins, and yet he is not punished for his sins judicially. How do we reconcile that as Christians? Because here's what's going to happen to you, Christian. You need to understand this. Uh, Yes, you will have uh, tragedies in your life as a result of your sin, but you are still justified before the Father in spite of all your sins. It is both in. And it brings me to another important truth about uh, the Christian's relationship to sin and its consequences. Um, 
Here's how Tim Keller puts it. Our pain for sins that we commit is not payback. It's surgery. Ooh, that, that was really good. I hope you heard that. <laughs> the, the pain that we experience for sins is not payback. In other words, God's not, not going to come and get us. No, it's surgery. He's going to use the pain from our sins to cut things out of us, to root out the cancerous habits, idols, desires in our bodies, in our spirits, so that we can be prepared for and purified for uh, more good works and ultimately a better reality, life eternally with the Father. So just like David here, two things can be true at the same time. You are not punished judicially by the Father for your sins, but you are disciplined. You are pruned and perfected by the Father through the consequences of your sins. That's the first question. That's how we reconcile the child dying and yet David's sin being put away. And that's how we reconcile it in your life as well. You will sin as a Christian. You will face the consequences of those sins. It will prune you. It will show you. This is why Titus 2.10 says the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Because the grace of God washes away the eternal punishment for sins, but it doesn't wash away all the consequences of our sins. And the Holy Spirit is there to apply that grace to our hearts to change us and separate us from the desire to keep going back to that sin. The book of Proverbs says that the fool, like a dog, reverns, refer, re, uh, returns to its vomit. Well, you're not a fool anymore. You have been given the wisdom of Christ, the knowledge of Christ, the mind of Christ. And so as a non-fool, <laughs> you don't go back again and again and again. Uh, you slowly and progressively see the error of sin, and over time, you understand to stay away from it. Doesn't mean you're ever gonna, never going to touch it again. It does just mean, though, that you have wisdom to av avoid it. So, that's the first question that I wanted to answer in this text, but here's the second question, perhaps a more pertinent question to the whole episode. Why does the child have to die for David's sins? Hmm? Why does the child have to die for David's sins? Okay, let me first offer you this answer. Uh, well, no, this foundational reality for the ultimate answer that we will get to. Uh, the, 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 the question is asked on a, on a human horizontal level. Why, why does the child have to die for David's sins? You are asking that question on a human horizontal level. You are asking that question detached from the reality of eternity and the importance of belief in eternity, that is the life beyond this life, in consideration of the tragedies of this life. I hope I am making sense. You're asking it in a very limited point of view. We see this child's death as the child suffering, but the scripture, and we're going to see this in a moment, does not see it like that. And God does not punish children for the sins of the father. Ezekiel 18.20 says, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the inequity of the father, nor the father suffer for the inequity of the son, the righteous of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So this child does not suffer for David's sin, but it does suffer because of David's sin. Second Samuel 12, 15, let's go on. Nathan went to his house and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David. By the way, the scripture does not want us to miss that it is still Uriah's wife. Just kind of interesting there. 
and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. In other words, I don't, he didn't want the child to die like any parent. And he fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. I mean, he really is praying and seeking God for deliverance from this child dying. Verse 17, and the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Um, so there's uh, a question in the New Testament that is based on this event uh, from the disciples to Jesus. Uh, they see a blind man in John chapter 9, and they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answers what? It was not that he sinned or his parents that he was born blind, but that God's work might be displayed in him. Um they asked the question, perhaps predicated on this event here in 2 Samuel 12, where this child suffers or is sick and then dies because of David's sin. But Jesus gives us the heavenly context. Jesus gives us the heavenly answer that all sickness and all despair in the life of God's people will be used for the glory of God. It will be used to show God's control over all the tragedies of life, God's glory uh, that, uh, that, sur that surpasses and eclipses the tragedies of life, and it shows us the hope that we have in eternal life with God. Uh, now, let's get back to the text. Verse 18, it says this, On the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. So his servants have a serious uh, care and concern for their master, David. In verse 19, it says, When David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, Yes, he is dead. Uh, okay, so what are we to take from here? Uh, I only take one thing from this passage. <laughs> it's kind of just a simple observation. David's a very complex character, and not even his closest associates understood him all the time. And he usually did things that were unpredictable. Uh, this is why we know that he was anointed and inspired by the Holy Spirit, because he sees things and he writes things that we still cherish to this day. We're going to get to them in a moment. And when you are inspired by the Holy Spirit, don't expect the world to understand everything that you do and you say. Uh, what does that mean for the Christian? It means this. When we put our faith in the Word of God through the Holy Spirit who conforms our hearts and changes our hearts to receive the Word of God as it is the Word of God, First Thessalonians chapter 1, it's going to be strange to the people around us. It's going to be unexpected how we respond to tragedy, how we respond to trouble. Well, that's what David models for us here. Anyway, going back to the text, let's look at verse 20. Then David arose from the earth. Now he knows that the child is dead. Look what happens. He arose from the earth, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Mm. David worships upon the death of his child. He then went to his own house. And when he, and when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. So he was fasting and, and not going home and praying and laying on the floor. And now the child is dead and he's eating, going into his home and cleaning himself up. Then his servants, verse 21, said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You have fasted and wept for the child while he was yet alive, but when the child is dead or when the child has died, you arose and ate food? And now look at what his response is. Verse 22, he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. That right there, my friends, is the answer to the question, why does this child have to die? And it is not the answer that you come up with. It's not a uh, Hallmark card-ism. It is, it is not just some saying that we throw out there to kind of comfort people. 
there is a theological understanding in the heart of David that we see in this text 1,000 years before Jesus came and rose from the dead. It is so beautiful. I hope, you, I hope you're catching what I'm saying. Did you see what David said? Let's put it back on the screen. David said, I shall go to him. I can't bring him back. I shall go to him. He will not return to me. Okay, first, David believed that God might be gracious and spare the child. That's what he says earlier when he says, maybe the Lord would be gracious to me, but the Lord wasn't. The Lord took the child. But secondly, he believed that this child was still alive somewhere and he would go and join him one day. You know what he's doing? He's speaking under the unction of the Holy Spirit. He knows there's an afterlife and the baby is in heaven with the Lord and David will one day be reunited with the child. Now, I want to make something clear. Some people suggest, no, no, no. He was talking about the fact that he's going to go to the same burial plot as the child. (laughs) No, no. First off, you wouldn't get you know, happy and joyful and cleaned up and ha- all of a sudden your mood would shift because you're going to go be buried with your dead child one day. No, don't be stupid. He's talking about the afterlife because he knew an afterlife was coming. Remember, it was David who said in Psalm 23, 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David knew this life was not the end. He also wrote in Psalm 17, verse 15. He said, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. David knows that this life is not the end. So the answer to the question, why does the child have to suffer for David's sin is the child did not suffer. Mm -mm. The child immediately entered into the glories of heaven. And David knew that. And as much as David wanted him to be on this earth with him, David knew that it was far better for the child, far better for the child to pass away and be with the father for all eternity, to be spared of the ups and downs, the trials and tribulations of this present evil age. You you see, there's actually a contrast here between David's response to the death of this baby and David's response to the death of a future son named Absalom. When Absalom rebels and he becomes a wicked and disgraceful son and actually tries to usurp the kingdom, and we're going to get to that story very soon here on this season of the deep end, um, Absalom is speared through by, uh, I think it's Joab, um, and he's put to death. And then news comes back to David. This is in 2 Samuel 18. And they say, yes, uh, Absalom, you know, may all the enemies of, my, of the king be as he is, which means he's dead. And you don't have to worry about Absalom anymore. Well, David is deeply moved by his son's death. This is also his son. And 2 Samuel chapter 18, it says he was deeply moved. He went up to the chamber over the gate and wept and cried out, Oh, my son Absalom, my son Absalom, would have I would had I died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. Why is David so mournful over the death of Absalom and so ready to worship over the death of this baby? Here's why. Because the babies go straight to heaven when they die. Absalom was a wicked, grown, rebellious son who knew right from wrong and was judged eternally for his sins. And David could not console himself over that loss because he knew that the end was terrible for Absalom. So the question again, where do babies go when they die? They go straight to be with the father. That's the answer. 
Every aborted child goes straight to be with the father. It does not mean <laughs> that we celebrate abortion in any way, shape, or form. Absolutely not. Some secularists will say, well, you Christians should be happy if they go straight to the father that they're aborted. Wrong. No. They're ripped apart. They're poisoned. They have a needle stuck in their hearts to, in, to, to uh, instigate cardiac arrest. The, the science is out there that they literally bleed to death in the womb when, when it's in late-stage pregnancy. We do not at all in any way celebrate nor endorse the use or the practice of abortion. And this is a principle that all Christians cannot hedge on, cannot compromise on, because this is a tragedy of our age. And I know this is very important for us right now because the Supreme Court has just decided to take on some Supreme, some abortion cases and pray for them to have wisdom and understanding to know that that child is a child. Anyway, every aborted child does go to heaven. Every child lost before they know right and wrong does go to heaven. And now I know that some people are going to say, well, what's the age of accountability? And we all struggle with that. The age of accountability is when the child can know. That's when. And it's different for every child. It really is. Some children, they mature mentally at a different age than others. And God knows. God knows those things. He knows we don't know. Uh, as it says in Timothy, the Lord knows those who are his. We don't know. He knows. And, and heaven is going to be populated with the people that uh, have been redeemed and saved by Almighty God from the wickedness of this world, and that includes the unborn children who did not have a chance to find out whether they were right or wrong. So let's go on in the text, because there's something else I want to point out here. Verse 24, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son and called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Uh, okay, this is incredible. This is incredible. I hope you see it. Uh, David is given another son through Uriah, uh, through Bathsheba. Okay, and by the way, her name here is Bathsheba now because uh, the the sin has been paid for and everything. Um, but this next son is going to be the king. And what the what what happens in this horrible affair, horrible adulterous evil and murder? On the part of David is the Lord punishes, the Lord prunes, the Lord, you know, um, prepares David for something better, even through the pain of his sin, and then brings redemption to the whole event. Here's the redemption. This next son between David and Bathsheba will become the greatest king the world has ever seen. This will be the one whose wisdom will span the ages, even to this day. This will be the king who brings riches and glory and power to Israel as no king before him or since him. This will be the king that will establish the nation for generations. And God takes the evil of David and brings about something wonderful. Now let's get to another sticky question. Now let's get to another sticky question because it's an important question. I was in conversation with one of our church members this week about abortion. And she had a genuine question. And again, I love genuine questions. The question was this, what about rape, Pastor? See, she wasn't for abortion, but she wanted, to know, she wanted me to know that she could understand why a woman would want to have an abortion uh, of a child that was conceived in rape. And I want to tell you what I told her. Here's what I told her. The most redemptive thing that could happen as a result of rape is to remove any chance. Uh, I'm sorry. The, 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 the most redemptive thing that could happen as a result of rape is to bear the child so that it has a chance to bring joy and goodness to the earth. Yeah. yeah you, when you abort the child conceived 
through rape, you remove the chance completely for any redemptive purposes in that horrible, terrible event. Okay. Uh, And please don't say, well, I just couldn't look at the child. Yes, you could. When you have that child, you will see that it is a beautiful human being, that God can use that human being, that God can use that devastating event for good. Because the perspective that we have on human beings as Christians, as God-fearers, as Bible believers is different than the perspective of the world. See, the world's underlying problem the world's uh, not uh, prop, not the problem. The world's underlying uh, view of a child, which propels the pro-choice movement forward, is simply this: children are an inconvenience. Uh, sometimes we need to remove them or get them out of the way before they get in our way. That's the underlying. Pro- that's the underlying view. That's the foundation of the pro-choice movement. I can't afford the child. I'm too young to have a child. This child was conceived in rape. This child, da 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 da. This child, da da. They're going to stop my life. You want to play God? Remove the child. Kill it. Put it to death so that you can have your way. And what you do, and what the world does on a regular basis, because they are not people of redemption. They aren't redeemed spiritually, so they don't have a spiritual and a redemptive purpose in their minds and in their hearts. Is that they get rid of the child and they remove any form and any possibility of redemption, God using evil for ultimate good. I had a young kid in my youth group when I was a youth pastor who was the product of rape. He didn't even know. And his mother gave him up for adoption. See, there's that other option, right? Say you can't face the child. You've got adoption that you can, you can give the child to someone else. And it's almost impossible to adopt children today. Uh, because it's so expensive, because it's, there's so many, so much red tape. Again, this is the government getting involved in all this kind of stuff to keep people from celebrating and embracing and endorsing and 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 living in in the life of God. Because we live in a world that is consumed with the death and the evil of Satan. And I am just trying to share with you a perspective that this world does not have for you, but God does. The child does not suffer for David's sins. The child immediately receives the glories of heaven. And by the way, as of this speaking right now, David and that child are reunited in heaven to God be the glory. And they will never be separated again. Isn't that the better answer? So we've got to get, maybe, maybe, maybe a chart will help. We live in the here and now. The here and now is unknown, it's painful, it's unpredictable. Sometimes it's happy. It's temporarily happy. But there is an eternal perspective that Christians have. That this is the here and now, but we are building toward eternal glory. Everlasting glory. 1 Corinthians 2.9 No eye has seen, no ear heard, nor heart imagined what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed those things to us through the Spirit. Romans 8.18 I consider that the sufferings of our present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. In other words, there is glory ahead. And in spite of all the pain, in spite of all the trials, in spite of all the problems, listen to me very carefully. It is only for the here and now And one day in the light of eternal glory, we will look upon all these tragedies and we will say God knew what he was doing and God used it for our good. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says, This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This is why Paul the Apostle will be able to say, I don't know whether I should go and depart and be with Christ. That's far better. Or should I stay with you Philippians and continue to minister the word to you? I'm not sure which one I prefer because to be with Christ is better. But you know what? For your sake, I'll stick around. I mean, this is, this is the perspective of somebody who is consumed with eternity. Somebody who knows that this life is not the end. Somebody who knows that God's everlasting glory is ahead. So here's the truth. The pain of today will be totally eclipsed by the pleasure and joy of God's presence for eternity. Perhaps I'm talking to somebody who lost a child, and I cannot imagine what that feels like, and my heart sincerely goes out to you, and I'm so sorry for you. But can I tell you that your child today is with Jesus, and no one will ever steal him from heaven. And for anyone else who might be suffering and going through something that they just don't understand and tragedy has befallen them just as it befell David because of the sins of the world and because maybe even of your own sins or the sins of others. I want you to think about Bathsheba's perspective. She didn't do this. David did it to her and she had to suffer as well. Whether you're suffering for your sins or suffering the, uh, suffering the consequences of your sins or suffering the consequences of somebody else's sins, can I tell you that there is joy and pleasure for eternity awaiting you in God's presence. And that is our hope. And that's what makes us different. And that answer is not found in science. That answer is found in scripture. Amen. I hope and trust that this episode has been a benefit to you. As I ask every day, not every day, every week, Get over to thedeepend.tv. Check out some swag, some items that we have for sale on the Deep End TV. We got a mug, a uh, tumbler, sorry. Looks like this. It immediately, it immediately makes every drink more flavorful. <laughs> um, no, check out uh, thedeepend.tv. Check us out on social media. All of them are usually at thedeepend.tv. Like, follow, subscribe. Make sure that you do this one last thing for me. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. And most importantly, if you would be back next week for The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End. The Deep End is brought to you by listeners and viewers just like you. Consider giving today. Hey, if you don't have a home church, come and check us out at one of our campuses. Visit waterschurch.org and you can find a time and location that fits your schedule. Tune in next week for The Deep End with Tim Hatch.